We want to make sure we get the fresh food of God. So I want to talk about that today. Keep it fresh. John 6.36 tells us where the freshest is. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. You know, I remember when I was uh, a young man, I, I really, I still have a sweet tooth. I mean, I, I like cake and candy. It's bad, I know, and it's not the great food. And I've learned to stay away from it more in my old age. But even then, when I was young, my mom would bake fresh bread at times, just bread. And she'd bake it in the oven, and when it would come out, we'd just put butter, just real butter on that bread. It was unbelievable coming out of that oven fresh. I mean, we couldn't think of anything that we wanted to devour more than that bread when it would come out. Well, Jesus is the fresh bread, the bread of life. No one comes to me, or no one who comes to me, it says, will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. So how do we know if it's about Jesus, and he's the bread of life, how do we come to know Jesus and keep it fresh? Well, it comes down to your personal decisions and your personal walk. And there are two ways that you personally have to choose to live to keep it fresh. And I can't make the choice for you. God won't even make it for you. The two things are to read the Bible daily, which we've talked about, to get a fresh infusion because he's the word of life as well. And, and then to pray. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time talking about prayer this week. And by the way, we have these journals up here. If you've never journaled, this has daily Bible readings, and it has a prayer guide to kind of help you through your walk and some journaling. Pastor Doug, Doug. <laughs> and I like him too, you know, I like him. <laughs> Pastor Doug, oh my, he's going to call me Pastor Stain next week when he gets up here or something. He talked in a great way about this last week and did a super job. And if, if you're thinking about it but you haven't done it, this, these are for you for free. If you've never journaled before and you want to try it, I want you to come up here. And I think we have 20 or 30 up here that you can grab uh, people who've never done it before. Take a look at it and get, get rolling. In Mark 6.31, Jesus has sent the disciples out and they have done amazing miracles. Uh, they've seen people healed, they've seen demons cast out, and they're coming back to him at the end of that chapter in Mark 6, and they're saying, you won't believe it. And Jesus isn't really that impressed, because after all, he's the power and the source behind it all. You know, we, we don't really uh, have a gift, the gifts of God flow through us, and so he, he knew that the gift was flowing through them, and, and I think he liked it. But it was interesting what he said when they were so excited. Here's what he said in verse 31, come away with me. After this huge fanfare of spiritual stuff, you'd think he'd, he'd at least, uh, you know, get excited and rejoice and say, let's talk it through more. But he said, come away with me and find rest. And you know, in the busyness of life and everything you're going through, spiritual and otherwise, Jesus is giving you a call today. And here's what he's saying. Come away with me. Come get rest. Find me and find rest. Let's pray. And then I'm going to share what the Lord's given me. Father, Oh, Lord, we're, uh, we're victims of our own busy lives. And Lord, we, we value it with our mouths and maybe even with our hearts, but I pray you'd raise the value of your word and prayer today. I pray, Lord, that you would draw people to you. Jesus, you said, come away with me. And Lord, I pray that that would rise up in each heart so individually they'd find a place to be with you on a regular basis. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So three things about keeping it fresh today that I want to share with you. And the worst, the first, it's not the worst, it's the first. Good grief, what is going on here? 
got worse than dog. Hope no curse words come out here in a minute. I don't know. It seems to be getting worse. I'm pontificating the obvious here. Make it a priority to get fresh input from God daily. Personally now. You must make it a priority to get fresh input from God daily. The answer from most of us in this question when it comes before us, this thought, is I don't have time. I heard a smart man say once, you you always have time for things that are important to you. And so if this is important to us, and if we can raise it to that level, then we will not just take time, but we'll make time for that. And there's a payoff for it. That's what I want you to know today. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Now I want you to notice something. When it talks about you coming closer to God, and the disciplines of the Christian life, who does it say should train you in that passage? It doesn't say let the preacher train you. Although the Lord can use preachers and teachers for sure. It's personal here, it says train yourself. Another version, I believe it's the NIV, says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then it says this, physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important. For it promises a reward in both this life and the next. This is true, and everyone should accept it. So I noticed that the exercise machines are showing up in the stores. I don't know if you've been in the mall lately, but right after the new year hits, there are more exercise uh, machines that are in the stores. I've noticed there's more videos that are exercise videos, and I think these guys are smart. They know that most of the New Year's resolutions revolve around losing weight, getting healthier, exercising, and after all, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, the average American puts on from five to seven pounds. So they know, okay, let's hit it in January, we'll sell these machines, they'll use them for six weeks, and, uh, you know, but we've sold it. And, and so I, I'm, just, I'm just watching uh, all this and thinking of the things I've seen through the years, uh, the thigh master, buns of steel, and you hear, you know, you hear somebody um, say something like, uh, you know, how to lose pounds and how to lose 50 pounds in three weeks. You have to cut off your legs if you're going to do that in three weeks. But, but then there's these exercise videos, uh, Billy um, Blank's Tybo Amped. I saw that one when I looked around a little bit. The 30-Day Shred by Jillian Michaels. Um, Get Ripped and Chiseled with Jerry Love. I always rip something and feel shredded when I exercise, but it doesn't quite seem to work out that I, that I have the effect that I'm hoping for with, with all of that. But I want you to notice that this passage says exercise has value. So that's a good thing. I mean, we're, I'm, I, I'm not here to knock that today, but there's, there's a comparison between the value of a physical discipline for exercise and a spiritual discipline, and here's what it says. Spiritual discipline is way more important. It's way better than even exercise. I mean, the exercise value is you feel better. You have less stress when you exercise, right? You're less irritated. You look better. You live longer. Those things are all good. How much more the value the the word of God will bring to your life? Here's what the Bible says about the word. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, I want you to take special note of the way it talks about strengthening and reviving your spiritual being when we're in these disciplines. Now, there's the first one, reviving the soul. There's something about being in the word where you find strength and it revives you. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. One of the things I love about Pastor Doug Pastor dog to some. <laughs> Just me, probably. Do you know when it comes to these journals and this, this discipline of reading the word and praying that Pastor Doug has probably mentored a couple of hundred people one-on-one in this stuff? I mean, that blows me away, Doug. I love that about you. But, you know, Doug was a pastor for 10 years or I think 12 years, senior pastor, and he found out what I found out. That if a person is in the word, no matter how big their problems are, if a person is in the word and learning to connect with God every day, read his word, hearing from the spirit of God, and then praying and asking God and interacting with God, their life will go better the moment that begins. No matter where they at, how deep the pit or hurt or discouragement is, the moment they begin that, everything starts to get better. It's true. And Doug knows that, and I know that, and that's why we're so intense and serious about this. You connecting personally with God because it'll bring, listen to it again, the commandments of the Lord bring joy. A spirit is revived and joy comes when you get into the word. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight to life. And that's one aspect of those personal devotions, connecting with God every day is the reading of the word. But let's talk about prayer. Romans 12 says, always be prayerful. Jeremiah 29, 13 gives you a promise if you'll meet the Lord in these ways we're talking about. It says this in verse 13, if you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me. Isn't that an awesome promise? That God says when you look for him personally, when you get into the word, when you come to him for prayer, when you seek him, you'll find him. He'll be there for you. He'll connect with you. I will be found by you, it says in verse 14, says the Lord. Philippians 4, verse 6, this is a paraphrase, and I'm going to use this verse at the end of the sermon, the NIV, which is a literal translation, but the message, it's kind of a cool thing to read devotionally from time to time. It's a paraphrase, and this is what it says about Philippians 4, 6, don't fret or worry. Let me stop for just a moment and say, maybe maybe I'm different than you, but that's that's one of the things that seems to uh, pop up for me is, is worry from time to time. And you know, the thing about worry is um, most of the things you worry about actually don't happen. And so I've I've learned in life that when I go to the Lord, he'll settle my spirit down because he knows if if it's going to happen or not. And and he'll let me know. I mean, I've had to announce to myself at times to worry from here to there, even if it does happen, doesn't help. I'd rather feel good from here to there and let the bad thing happen, you know. So why not take the peace of God along the way? Because this is the promise I have from God and the promise that you have. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fire. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't deserve it. The Bible says that there was a fourth that looked like the Son of God that was there in the fire with them. And this is the principle. Even when the bad things come, this is the promise you have from Jesus. He'll either deliver you from the fire or he'll walk through the fire with you. 
And so I don't need to worry if, if the Lord knows it's going to happen. I can trust him. He'll have some good purpose beyond my own. How can the fire help? It became a great testimony that all of us are encouraged from that we're hearing about today with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Lord has purpose in things. So I, I, I want to trust him. It says, don't worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And I really, I just love verse seven. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. You know, one of the, much of the time I pray, Lord, would you help me to think the way you want me to think? Take captive every thought that is not in Christ, the Bible says. And I find that the Lord just helps me get my feelings right. Can't be led by feelings. Gotta be led by truth. My feelings don't always want to do the right thing. Sometimes I want to run when I shouldn't. Sometimes I don't want to go where I should. But when I get with the Lord, he settles me down. He shows me. And then it says, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Isn't that a wonderful promise for prayer? Now, you've been wondering what this is, I bet. Some of you see in this over there. This little jar today represents our lives. And we can see clearly through that jar right now. But what happens is though, that we get into life and, and, and we, the cares of life and trouble starts to happen and the sediment, there's sediment in the bottom of that that you didn't see. And when the cares come and you argued with your wife and your boss is treating you bad and your cards are, are, are maxed and you don't know how you're gonna make it financially and the cares of life, pretty soon it doesn't feel good. You, everything's all murky and you're saying, how am I gonna make it? And you get all tied up in knots and you start to worry and everything's floating around. You can't even see which way to go. But when you get with God, and this represents the presence of God, and you get in his presence and you get into his word and you start to feel him speak to you as you speak to him. And every day you're with him and he, he just comes and he settles your heart down. He displaces worry that's been at the center of your life. And that's what, that's what the Bible, that's what prayer is about, is getting in his presence so he can help us. And we can go a week if we want and just come to church and God may clear it up a little bit. But I tell you, every time we get with him, when we get with him on a daily basis, a regular basis on our own, we do better. We see better. We know where to go now. We see what he would have us to do. We see how he would have us to change. We're refreshed. We get joy. We get peace. We get wisdom. We need to be with him. Second thought today, find good space to freely interact with God. What do I mean by that? Well, by space, I mean a good location. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father secretly. Corporate prayer is good. Praying around the table is good. Praying everywhere you go. The Bible says uh, to, to pray always. That's all good. But this is a scriptural principle about getting away by yourself. Shutting the door in a secret, quiet place. Then your father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. For me, it's, it's a quiet room. And that room is usually our living room or our family room. But it either has to be very early in the morning because there's so much activity there or very late at night. And I'm kind of an AM, PM guy. 
Get me a big gulp and we'll just worship the Lord right there. I never was a morning guy growing up, but what I learned is I've learned to like the mornings more with my time for God because I just feel like I need him during the day. At the end of the day, when I'm with him, it's good, but I kind of feel like it's more of an unloading than a building up sometimes, you know? And, and so I need it. I don't know what my day holds, but he does. And, and, he, and he strengthens me. So find that spot that works for you. Where's the spot? Where's the quiet place that you can find? I think of... Um, John Wesley's mother, who, if I have it right, had 19 children. And uh, where do you find a secret place when you have 19 children? What she did was uh, told her kids to leave her alone, and she would pull her apron up over her head in the middle of their house and say, when that apron's up, nobody talks to me. And she would talk to the Lord there. She needed help with 19 kids, and she did well. Where, where's the secret place for, for you? The important thing is, to do your best to find a spot where you feel good and there's no interruptions and then go there to meet with God, to seek him, to read his word. And then I would say find a good time of day for you. Psalm 119, 147 says, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. So there's early. Psalm 5, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. So we see all through it, there's just tons of passages about the morning. And we see that Jesus did this. Mark 1.35, the next morning Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Continually, we see Jesus pulling away to be by himself with the Father. If there was no secret place, and he traveled everywhere he went, so he didn't have a common room, um, usually, he'd, he'd just scout one out and go to it. And he would be with his father. And he's our example. If the Son of God came, who came to save us from our sins and deliver us from ourselves and give us salvation forever in heaven, if he came to show us how to live and he communed with the Father daily and regularly, and he's our example, the faithful high priest, He's trying to show us how we, how we need to do it. We need to have a time to pull away. Now, I'm, Jesus was healing people. Jesus was giving amazing teachings. Everywhere he went, something productive was happening, but he, understand, he understood that you had to have something coming in. He's showing us that you can't just have a river going out or you become stagnant and dry and it becomes a barren place. You have to have the refreshing and the refreshment of the Lord being poured into you, the strength of God on a regular basis. And he went in the morning, but we, we can see the evening there too. What, what's the best time for you? Some of you are thinking, if I have to get up before the sun shines, I want to reevaluate my Christianity. You love uh, the evening much more than you love the morning. But y- y- the principle here is find a great time that works for you, but find it. So we see Psalm 63, 6, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Isaiah 26, all night long I search for you, earnestly I seek you, God. The important thing is to find the right time and place for you and groove it on a regular basis, groove it. I think of Daniel. Prayer was so important to him that he'd rather be thrown to the lions than miss it. Daniel 6.10, it says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. You see how he pulled away? You see how he had a regular place? And he went up there to be isolated and pray. With its windows open toward Jerusalem, it says he prayed three times a day. 
just as he had always done. You see the regularity in that? Giving thanks to his God. And if you're praying, I'd make a regular part of my prayer time thankfulness because it'll change the way you approach the Lord. If you, I, I like to start with praise and, and um, thank the Lord for everything he's done because it makes me realize how many good things are around me and as humans, we tend to forget that so easily. And we're just reminded, so we have grateful hearts and then we have hearts of expectation as we go, go on in our, in our prayer time. Well, the important thing is to find that time, that place that works for you and go. Daniel, he, he didn't have morning or evening. He, evidently, he had three times a day. It's probably morning, afternoon, and early evening. Whatever it is that works for you, just, just do that. And then the third thing I would say is a good amount of time. Now, I, I would say if you've never done this before, that a good amount of time to get with the Lord, to get into to what we're talking to you about, a good amount of time to start with would be a minimum of 10 minutes because you've never done it before. Maybe it seems foreign. Maybe you think like, what do I do? But even if you read the word for five and you started to talk to the Lord for five, you'll see a payoff that you've never seen before. Now, the reason I say 10 doesn't bother me is because I know from history with myself and with others that when you start, pretty soon what 10 moves to 15, 15 moves to 20 and 30, and you'll just get lost with time sometimes, and, and, and you'll, get, you'll feel the reward so much that it doesn't feel like a pain. But here's what the, what the word says about a, good, about a length of time. Those who wait on the Lord, it says in Isaiah 40, 31, will find new strength. Now there it is again, something of strength coming when you're with the Lord, when you're waiting on Him, when you're in the word, gleaning from the wisdom of God's word, the Bible. When you're praying, when you're seeking him, those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. Now wait would have to have some sort of duration towards it, wouldn't it? It seems to be a little longer, a little length here that maybe um, we're not familiar with and a promise that if we'll wait on him, we'll fly high on wings like eagles, it says. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So I, I think of this as time enough to soak in his presence, to marinate, you know, cure if we're using these fresh food uh, uh, analogies. Matthew 26, 40, Jesus said this. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Now we don't see in the Bible where it says the amount of length of time we should take. We see more of a lifestyle of being connected with God. But we do see discipline attached to it and length of time attached to it. And here he's saying an hour is not too much. He's not saying take an hour every day. I don't know that he did this every night, but he was in a hard place in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said this. And in that place, uh, he needed the strength of his brothers around him, supporting him uh, in, in prayer, those disciples, those apostles. And they had fallen asleep. And I'll tell you, one hour... Uh, can go by a lot sooner than you think when you get alone with God. Most of you take a shower every day. And usually it's a quick one, right? It's a discipline you have just to uh, be nice to everybody around you, right? It's appropriate. You're more presentable. Prayers, there's a little bit of that attached to it too in the reading of the word. But when it's working right and you get in a nice warm shower and you have time, probably a couple times a week, if you could just linger there 
you can really enjoy a nice warm shower, right? I mean, it's good a couple times a week to get a good, good lengthy, warm, comfortable shower. And I kind of think of these disciplines this way. Though you may not be taking an hour a day, you may be taking 20, 30, maybe 45, maybe an hour. But it'd be great if you could at least take in prayer and, and your devotional life a couple times a week, just a good long shower in the presence of the Lord. And you'll feel better and you'll be more relaxed and you'll see things clearly. So, make space. Make space for these things, these disciplines that we're talking about. And then the third thing I would say, well, let, let, me, let me read this scripture. Psalm 138, on the day I called you answered me, my strength of soul you increased. There's a payoff here. There's that strength of being in the presence of the Lord. I have a friend in that good long shower. He, uh, he has a regular devotional life, but a couple times a week, my friend lives in California near the beach. He'll just go down and sit on the beach. And there, you know, on a cold day, it's 60 in the winter. And so all year long, he can go down there as long as it's not raining, doesn't rain much, and he'll just sit on the beach and it's just the place he likes to connect with the Lord. Jesus went to the mountain, Jesus went to the desert, Jesus pulled away, and he likes to go to the beach and he, and he would just spend time with the Lord. It was a good lengthy time when he'd go down there a couple times a week. He had his other disciplines, but he, he did these, what I call these good long showers. One day he was sitting there and he had sorrow in his heart his young daughter had hooked up with the wrong guy, not a Jesus-loving person. And he was so distressed and they'd done what they could for a, a good amount of time and he didn't know what to do and he's with the Lord saying, God, I need wisdom. And at that very moment, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be used by the Lord. I felt um, the impression that I should call my friend because I felt like the Lord gave me a word for him about his daughter. At the very moment he was on the beach seeking the Lord in that place, he saw as a call for me and he answered. He said, hey buddy, I was just thinking of you. I was praying and I, I, I thought about your daughter and I felt like the Lord spoke this. And I spoke something and tears just welled up in his eyes. Now I, I, I'm, I'm not Holy Joe and I don't get it all right all the time and I'm not trying to say that but what I, what I would like to bring the focus to is God will do that for you. I mean, there was my buddy hurting in his heart but he, where did he go? He went to the Lord. And the Lord brought some wisdom to him. And the word that was spoken seemed to be the beginning of a breakthrough. And eventually, that relationship was obliterated, and appropriately so under those circumstances. And now she's doing awesome. When we get with him, he'll clear things up for us. How did, um, how did Pastor Luke know when he drove down 26 and 185th? Something surged in his spirit. Brother, you, you know I don't have to tell you, but that comes when you're connected. <laughs> when you're with the Lord and when you're asking him, what do you want? And there's a, there's a payoff for this stuff. And when, when you're walking with him and when you're with him on a regular basis you, you, and you're hearing his voice more, it all becomes more familiar. I saw a little Abby, is that your daughter's name? Maggie, Maggie. I, you probably didn't see it, but when he spoke her name, she turned. She's familiar with her father's voice. Why? I saw him have her in his arms during the service. 
She knows what it's like to be with him. She knows his voice because she's been with him a lot. And it's a lot easier to know the father's voice when you're with him personally. Third thought today, and I'm kind of already on it. There's this, I, I want you to anticipate the incredible payoff for this. I, I don't want any guilt motivation here whatsoever. Um, it might be happening, but it's certainly not my, my heart. I hope it's not. I, I would like you to be so drawn to it that you want to try it on your own because you anticipate this, this payoff. Proverbs 3, 1 says this, my child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Now this is talking about the word of God and a regular infusion. And daily, Joshua 1, 8 says daily. Verse two, when, when you're into these commands and you're storing them in your heart, for they will give you a long and satisfying life. Don't you want a satisfying life? I mean, doesn't that sound great? And Jesus is just saying, you know, if you get with me, I'll, I'll give you joy and I'll give you peace. And if you'll read my word and apply it to your life, you'll find strength that comes to you. You'll find satisfaction in life. There's a payoff for being in the word. Let me try to illustrate this for a moment. Um, Our basketball coach here at Horizon got an email this week. And we have a very good boys basketball team. We have a very good girls basketball team this year as well. The boys won the state championship last year. They're ranked first currently in the state for 3A. I'll tell you one of the things I love about Dave Brown, our coach, is he pours the word of God into those boys. Now, having been so involved uh, with athletics, and <laughs> man, I have a lot of knowledge about athletics that is totally useless in my head. I spent so much, but I'm guessing that I spent four hours a day from the time I was seven to the time I was 23 in athletics. That's almost a shame, but it's true. And uh, I saw a lot of coaches and a lot of negative things in sports. I can't tell you what it meant to me one day when at our other campus where the junior high is, this was a few years ago, I walked in to see one of our coaches kneeling with the boys around him, had his knee on the basketball, and he was giving them the word of God. He was just speaking the word to them. And I stopped and I got teary-eyed because I, I played a lot of sports growing up, never got any of that. And then to hear him pray with them, I mean, he's not building ball players; he's building disciples. And I believe Dave Brown, our basketball coach, does the same. He talks to our boys on a regular basis. He prays with them. He talks about scripture principles like doing your best and honoring God and being humble. Well, I said that to set up this email here. It was from a parent in a public high school that we played, not a Christian high school. And here's how the email goes. Hi, I'm a parent from such and such high school. I want to apologize for my behavior during the basketball game and after the game. First, I'd like to start off with our kids were really excited to play your team, although they knew there was not a realistic chance for them to win. They very much admire the boys on your team because of their skill level and attitude as a whole. Very early in the game, my attitude turned negative. I was blown away by the skills your boys have and embarrassed for our team. Anyway, I cornered one of the other coaches after the game and I told him I felt as Christians, your team was too prideful and they needed to learn some humility. Your coach was very respectful. But I was wrong. 
I was the one who was a prideful jerk. I have to tell you, on the way home, my boy was so excited, I kept trying to be negative. And my husband finally said, knock it off. Those boys were playing well and fair. I don't want that team to go easy on us. And my boy agreed. Then to nail it home, I heard the other mothers talking excitedly about how excited their boys were to play your team. One mom said to her boy, one mom said her boy rather, wanted to have his picture taken with the team. Another said their boys were amazed at how high they could jump. Another said it was an honor. So please forgive me for my poor sportsmanship. I will enjoy watching the next game and this time it will be fun to watch. And she signed her name. Our coach wrote her back and said, I've coached for over 40 years. No one has ever done this. Thank you. He didn't tell her, but he only played his starters for eight minutes in that game. Now, I love it that the words being poured into our, our boys, into the kids in the schools, you know, that's, what, that's, what, that's the distinctive. It's Christian. That's what this is about, knowing Jesus. And I love that. But I, I said in the first service, and I have more knowledge now, but I said in the first service that I was going to go out on a limb and speculate, but I felt like I discerned that this woman was a Christian. And I'll tell you why I say that. I don't know very many people in society who come back and say they're sorry and they were wrong unless they're led by the Spirit of God because it's too hard and the world just doesn't do it very much. Coach Brown was in the first service and he came up to me and said, you were right. She emailed me back. She is a believer. Now, I want to bring it down to her for just a moment. You, you know why she felt conviction? Because the Word of God showed her and some believers around her kind of reminded her of some scriptural principles. And then she got it right, and then she did the right thing. And really the truth is, I mean, haven't we all been prideful jerks somewhere at some time? Haven't we all done things we shouldn't do? And when you're with God, why do you need this? Look, look at what the word says. All scripture is inspired by God, 1 Timothy 3.16. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is, it is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. And so, if we're wrong, I mean, just this week, I said something that I was sorry for, and I went to someone and said, I'm sorry for that. That wasn't right. You know why I did that? Because the Lord, the Spirit of God, reminded me that that wasn't good. And that's why we need to be with Him. Because, because if we don't learn and we don't grow, then we just, uh, we, we, we just are saturated with self and not the Word, not the Spirit, not the presence of God. And so if we can't grow and it's always somebody else's fault, what does that do to the people around us in relationships? We're hard, we're harsh, we're unbending. It's about us. It makes them hurt. But if we can humble ourselves, blow the whistle on ourselves, hear the Spirit of God, make changes as the Word leads us, it might seem pay, painful and hard, but what happens is there's a good effect that starts because you just, you won't do it as much. And it brings calm and that humility because it takes humility to do what this woman did. We're being blessed by her humility today. And the word of God is wonderful. The payoff is that when we follow it, 
There's richness in relationship. There's blessing all around. Things get better and better instead of worse and worse. That's the payoff for the word. One of the payoffs of many. The payoff for prayer. I told you I'd read this again. This is the NIV. The other was a paraphrase from the message. But back to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Now this is a translation now. Paraphrase means kind of bringing around our language and bringing what they thought, the, the, the essence of the, uh, of the meaning of it, but not word for word. This is more of a word for word uh, thought translation. And I, oh, I'm sorry, it's the New Living. I said NIV this service, and I said it last service too, but it's the New Living. But it's a good translation. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. There's prayer now. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The cares of life, the selfishness, the wounds from the past in our childhood, if we'll submit ourselves to the word of God, if we'll be in communion with the Father and we'll ask him, Jesus, what do you want? What do do I need to do? How should I change? How should I respond in this circumstance or scenario? He'll lead us to his truth and wisdom that will bring about better results. I can't be sinless, but I can sin less and less all the time. I can have the presence of the Lord leading me, the wisdom of God in me to make right decisions, and I can grow more and more all the time. It's true of all of us. I need to grow, you need to grow. And as we're with the Lord, he brings peace and wisdom that blesses us. There's an incredible payoff. I heard someone talking about sunsets uh, this week. And uh, it reminded me of um, Hawaii a few years ago when you let us go on sabbatical. It's just such a wonderful time for us. The family was in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. And oh man, I got there and the Lord just showed me how much he loved you. You know, you know he just, if you get with him, he just wants to show you how much he loves you. Wants to hold you. Like that little girl I was talking about. That'll settle your heart down. That'll make you worry less. I'm good with God. He loves me. But when this person talked about sunsets, I thought that's, that's, that was true in Hawaii too. I, I, I remember that the, the first night or two we saw at the condo we were at, people gathering at the seawall. And the first night it was kind of intriguing. What's that about? And we soon knew. The sky turned orange. They just sat out there, just calm by the sunset as it went down. So uh, a couple nights later, Karen and I went out for the first time, sat on the seawall, and we watched the sunset, and it was just beautiful. It was this calming, serene effect, and boy, uh, I tell you, we live in such a busy world. You get on Hawaii time, you're not bored, but you, it feels like a 55-hour day, you know? It just, everything slows down, and, and yet it's good. Well, we liked it so much that we started going out there more, and we, we found ourselves back to be in that beautiful, serene setting. As a matter of fact, one night, we were on the road, 
and I had timed it so we could be back and watch the sunset at our place, and I didn't time it right. So now I'm speeding, going faster to try to get back to the spot, and I realize uh, this, isn't gonna, this isn't good. It's getting dangerous, and it's wrong. So we pulled over, found the best spot we could find. There was palm trees, and we ended up seeing just a beautiful sunset as we pulled off to the side of the road. I was compelled to see it again. I'd liked it so much the previous times. Now, how does that apply to what I'm talking about today? Consider this quote from Ruth Haley Barton, who says, some things are so beautiful that once you've experienced them, you don't have to be compelled to them. You'll want to order your world around them. And what I'm talking about today with the word and prayer is that if you'll get to it, if you'll sit with them, the cares of life, everything that's swirling, everything that's wrong, every worry that's coming up, when you get in his presence, it's so beautiful. There's peace there. And he'll calm you down. He'll give you the direction. He'll show you the way. And the best thing, the best thing, the best thing is he'll just remind you how much he loves you. It's just great to be there. You won't have to be compelled once you feel it, once you experience it. When we were there, I took this picture of one of the sunsets, and I chose this one because of the ship. I'm about to read poetry for the second time in three weeks, and that's not my order normally. But this poem talks about getting with God, and it, and it uh, has some thoughts about a ship in it. I took several pictures along the way, and this was just one of them. Some of you know that place in Lahaina, probably, where those ships moor. But this poem is written by Ralph Cushman, and it says, In the Morning. I met God in the morning when my day was at its best. And his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me, and we sailed in perfect calmness or a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered, other ships were sore distressed, but the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind, when I too had loosed the moorings with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret. Learn from many a troubled way. You must seek God in the morning if you want him through the day. Psalm 29, 11. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Let's get with him.